All right, welcome back to Nancy AF. This is Nancy Anderson Fit, and today I am so excited to bring you my personal physical therapist, but also literally one of the best physical therapists in the world. And it's just not not my opinion, but it's like her actual education, experience, background. And she's going to tell you more about that. Her name's Heather Demircy, and I have been seeing her for a while, but little does she know I've actually been looking for her for like a really long time. And I finally found her, and I'm very excited about it. You guys are in for such a treat because as a personal trainer and a pre and postnatal expert, my goal is to obviously empower women with protocols and techniques and real knowledge that can help them heal from birth, go into pregnancy healthy and thriving, and to continue being fit, healthy, and thriving during pregnancy as well. And I believe that to really do that, you can't do it with just a great trainer. I think you need a great trainer, but I think you also need a great physical therapist. And I think there's a lot of myth, myths, misconceptions, misinformation that's out there that we want to try to debunk and also empower the people that are listening um, to be able to thrive during this really important phase of life. So I introduce Heather and she's going to kind of give you a little bit more information about her background, her business, where she's located and her experience. And then we're going to dive into some really awesome topics. Welcome. Thank you, Nancy. I'm excited that you're here. Yes. And it's amazing how many times I hear people come in that say, I've been looking for somebody like you. And it's, it's sad for me to hear that sort of thing. And I'm trying to get the word out about this different type of physical therapy so that there's more people out there, that it's not just me, that mm-hmm. I'm not just one in a million, but there's a multitude of people out there. So kind of a little bit of my background. Um, I grew up in Colorado in a ski town and I was a competitive swimmer. And I had been um, plagued with shoulder injuries my entire career. I started in PT when I was nine years old. And with a disintegrating rotator cuff. And I had been to every physical therapist in town. I'm from a ski town. So there are a million of them. I bet. And I was so annoyed with them because nobody would actually listen to me. Though I was young and I didn't know the anatomy, I knew my body. And nobody wanted to listen to me when I was trying to tell them, like, no, when I'm swimming, I feel this. They just heard, you're a swimmer. You do these exercises. You'll feel better. Yes. They, yeah. They never even wanted to know what my stroke was. Like they w- didn't want to know the mechanics. They just put me in this box. So before my first shoulder surgery, I met this man named Greg Johnson in my town and he was a physical therapist. And I knew from the second I sat down, it was different because he sat down and looked me in the eyes when I was talking to him. I mean, I'm sure as you've experienced now too, when you go to the doctors, they're just on a computer typing and they're not looking at you and really trying to hear your story. Yeah. And so you're not really as open with them. So he was the first one that looked me in the eyes when I talked to him. And then he said, well, what does your stroke look like? That was the very first session. What does it look like? And so I got up and I showed him and he just starts pointing at all these different parts of my body, not just where my shoulder was. And I was like, this is different. <laughs> like this physical therapy might actually be able to do something. Yeah. So with his guidance, I went to PT school at, at Northeastern in Boston and got my doctorate. And then I went into their residency program. I was in Greenwich, Connecticut, working with a Dr. Brad Gilden. And after a year, I got my CFMT. So it's Certified Functional Manual Therapist. That's through the Institute of Physical Arts. So it's a uh, the hands-on approach that we're going to kind of dive into a little bit further in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of years later, I did my fellowship in New York City in Midtown. And um, with that, I became a fellow of functional manual therapy and a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Basically, it's a lot of did alphabet soup. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's alphabet soup after my name, basically. But what just shows is that I've really wanted to hone in on focus on how can we manually affect the body and yeah. look at it in a different sort of paradigm yeah. than just... Um, this is, oh, you're coming in with hip pain. This is the only exercise I'm going to do. We're looking at the entire body. We're looking at all the different systems. And we're kind of a special specialist of the entire body and not just one specific area. And so with that, the, my, uh, we moved out here, my husband and I, when I was pregnant with our daughter. And I opened up the practice here in Newport Beach three years ago last month. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yes, I actually started it when I was 31 weeks pregnant. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was going to people's houses at first and carrying oh around gosh. a treatment table, which we're going to talk later about how my pregnancy went and yeah. how what I did actually made my pregnancy a lot easier and mm -hmm. I was very functional. And then I opened up a practice in Santa Monica a year ago last month as well. So awesome. I'm in Santa Monica and I'm in Newport Beach. And then I also teach through the Institute of Physical Art now. I'm a primary instructor for their visceral manipulation course and the secondary instructor for their pelvic girdle puzzle course. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited to be here to kind of share some knowledge. Yes. Um, really quick before we dive in any further, can we just, just quickly kind of talk about really how you're like, obviously looking at the full body approach, mm -hmm. but I think people hear like physical therapists. They're like, oh yeah, I have a physical therapist and she's really great. But like Heather's different. In many ways. Yes. So <laughs> you, the, the, certifications that you have, like mm -hmm. your level of education and experience, how many people in the world are on your level? Less than 100 in the world. Yes. So yeah. it is very, very, very different than going to like a great physical therapist. It's like a DPT, period. Or even like a DPT who is also CFMT. Yeah. Like it's a much more elevated, in-depth, experienced person you're getting when you work with Heather. And I mean, I have been around <clears throat> the block with physical therapists, like not only yeah. from like a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, mm -hmm. I have been in physical therapy since I was 19. And I mean, that's a long time. And I've kissed a lot of frogs to get to you. I'm sorry you had to kiss so many frogs. <laughs> it does happen. But like I said, that's why I'm teaching in the Institute to try to make it so there's less frogs. Yes. And some more prince and princesses out there. Because I always say, like, you know, I, I'm happy to treat patients. But my goal when I became a physical therapist is that I wanted to be a Greg Johnson for somebody else. Yeah. I wanted to be that person that could sit there and listen to that patient. And now that I am that therapist, I want to make other people be that way. That's yeah. how, like, Greg was too. And all my mentors is that we want to share the love. Like I, I don't want to, I have people fly from all around the world to come see me. They'll come for intensives and it, I'm happy to see them, but it makes me sad that they don't have yeah. people in their area. And that's why, um, I've devoted a lot of my time to teaching and doing outreach programs in the U S and in Africa. And we're hopefully going to start in Europe too. So yeah. going around to make sure that everyone's a little bit more opening their mind to what the what the possibilities the body has and not just kind of getting used to these little boxes. Yeah. Which is really why I loved and ended up partnering with Dr. Aaron Pearson, who also has similar certifications to Heather, not yeah. quite as much as Heather has, but he practices that same approach, like looking for the root cause, like where in the body is it stemming from? Like, okay, it's your pelvic floor, but is it your pelvic floor? Like, is it coming from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. um, and Aaron's actually how I found you. Yes. So uh, I love you both. And Okay, let's dive in because I want to create as much value in this podcast as possible yes. for people listening. So first, I want to talk about fertility because mm -hmm. 
Aaron originally kind of introduced this to me. He's like, yeah. you know, I see patients that have fertility issues and I like they get pregnant. And I'm like, well, let's, let's talk more about, about that because yeah. a lot of my clients, you know, there's a lot of things that I do as a nutrition specialist and as a trainer to help prepare them for pregnancy and help really raise their chances of conception through lowering inflammation with the diet, ironing mm-hmm. out deficiencies after they've been on birth control for a long time because it's very depleting to be on birth control getting them exercising and like all these things that are proven to assist with conception. But there's something else about the trying to conceive phase that I feel like people are really not paying attention to. Yeah. Um, So I think we should dive in there first and maybe talk about like what you do to help prep people for pregnancy. Mm -hmm. What are the, the roadblocks that you see that can like cause fertility issues in your world? Yeah. So I think before we even dive into that specifically, I kind of want to talk about like what are the causes of inflammation? Because when I talk, when I'm treating patients, I'm telling them they have adhesions within their body and they're like, how did I get adhesions or how did I get scar tissue if I haven't had a surgery? So there's multiple different ways that it occurs. One, so one of the major reasons why is 70% of your immune system is in your abdominal cavity itself. Mm-hmm. 60% of that being within the lining of the intestine. So that's why those inflammatory foods are so... So like decreasing inflammation, what you can do with nutrition is so important because it's almost as if I try to explain it as if there was a bomb put in or bomb attack on the military base. The response is going to be so much faster from, you know, getting the fighter jets up in the air, like, you know, kind of counteracting that attack than if it was somewhere else in the body. Like if I got a cut to my leg it's like it happened in the middle of a cornfield. It's going to be a little while for that to yeah. happen. And there's not as many of those soldiers that are going to get there to try to fight it. When you have inflammation within your gut, it is a fast, intensive response. And so that can, whatever you have inflammation, that leads to adhesions. And so things getting stuck and not being able to move. Okay. So I just want to make sure that everyone's understanding exactly what that means. So like adhesions within your abdominal cavity is meaning basically it is sticking, causing sticking points. The organs can stick together. There can be mechanical restrictions. Where, yeah. And it's not just on a, a muscular level, like, oh, you're not able to fire your TVA properly. I mean, this can, like, really interrupt organ function, yeah. which I think is important to just, like, make that very clear before we go any deeper. It's it's all the fascia. Like, you know, fascia is a very common word nowadays. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> one Everyone of the buzzwords. Loves fascia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone loves fascia. <laughs> but fascia is interweaving not all through the muscle but all through the organs because the organs aren't just thrown in there and somehow just stay in place. They are suspended through a whole fascial system. Yes. So it's getting mobilization of that fascia and because of an inflammatory process from saying having a low level food uh, inflammation reaction that you don't know you have, it it will cause those uh, organs to start to stick and not be able to move. And when they don't move, they create musculoskeletal dysfunction, but then also too, they aren't able to function properly. You're kind of holding them back. And so they're not able to do their job that they should be, which is you need to get blood flow going. You need to get, you know, hormone production. So especially around the liver for fertility, which the liver is massive. I don't think people realize how large the liver is. Mm -hmm. It goes from like the midline here on the left-hand side, down across the ribs, around the back, all the way around, starting at nipple line. 
it is huge. And so if it's restricted within the rib cage, it's not able to move and all the cells aren't able to get the blood flowing and do what it's supposed to. So by dealing with the fascial attachments, you're overall improving the function of the organs. So that is like a very powerful takeaway, like right there. So we're going to dive a little deeper into adhesions, other ways that. Yeah. So other ways that like adhesions occur. So there's also trauma. So think of all the times that like you've fallen on your butt, you've fallen on your side, any of that reverberation through your system. Yet again, the fact that 70% of your immune system is already there in your abdominal cavity, any sort of that trauma from blunt force trauma is going to cause an inflammatory response, which is going to allow things to become adhesed. So that's also part of the problem too. Like I was just working on a girl who is having infertility issues and we started, she started having pain on her periods. Four years ago, she's been married for five years and her husband introduced her to snowboarding and she's not very good at snowboarding. So there was a lot of falls onto her bottom and a lot of trauma that we found that was changing everything in her pelvis and actually her uterus alignment, because I had imaging of her uterus, matched the obliquities of her pelvis. So as soon as we get the pelvis back down and it gets back, but it was, you know, it was working on all the fascial adhesions. So just realizing that all the trauma from you falling can also cause adhesions. Mm-hmm. And then the last major thing I see specifically in the abdominal cavity is that we're all sitting all day long now. And the analogy I like to do is that if you take a glass of sweet tea on a hot day and you put it on a uh, coffee table, there's all that condensation. So it's very liquidy within the abdominal cavity. Everything should be moving and yeah. flowing and going about. But if you don't, if you let that um, glass sit there for a while, eventually that water dries out and then it's hard to take it off the table, right? It like leaves a ring, it gets stuck. So that's happening, especially in the pelvic girdle, because in our society now, we're not doing any things to open up and we're definitely not doing things to open up our hips. Right. So all of that can kind of lead to adhesions and get things stuck. Yeah. So just want to revisit the trauma thing one more time, yeah. just for C-section moms. Yeah. So imagine... If you can get that kind of trauma from snowboarding, just like falling down, oops, that hurt. And then think about cutting your whole body open, removing organs, putting them back in, like how much internal adhesions could be stemming just from that. And then you have repeat C-sections over and over. So we'll talk about that later, but just yeah. want to make sure that we just... Because yeah, that's something even, that I have struggled with yeah, a lot. Yeah, even a small trauma of just falling on your butt multiple times from learning how to, you know, snowboard has a huge effect. So, yeah, now talk about any sort of surgeries you have in your abdominal region. I mean, that's going to lead to tons and tons of scar tissue as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so that kind of covers how we get adhesions. Yeah. So now what do we do about the adhesions, I guess? And what really, like, I guess, how can the adhesions... Like what exactly about the adhesions are going to restrict conception potentially? So the position of the the uterus, the fallopian tubes and ovaries are all very important to conception. You know, if you think about it, all these times, like it can be really hard to conceive. And why is that happening? And it's like one in three. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And then all the um, miscarriages that can happen, too, and that they're so common, we just don't talk about. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get pregnant to begin with. It's not easy. Right. So then add on the fact that these adhesions have made it so maybe that right ovary is sitting really far down. So now that fallopian tube that's trying to pull the egg is having to fight tons of gravity to try to get it to go up and to the point where it can get inseminated, right? 
it's not going to be able to do that. You're fighting something. Or if your uterus is sitting too far back as the eggs come down the fallopian tube to try to implant into the uterus, if you don't have as much surface area for that egg to be able to kind of fall down till it eventually catches on something because of the position of your uterus being too far back, right. then it's going to be causing problems there too. So whenever the questions I kind of ask someone to see if there is a problem with adhesions is, do you have painful periods? And people are always like, me, no, not more than usual, but it's not efficient (laughs) to have pain on your periods. Like you shouldn't really have much pain at all. And unfortunately in our society, it's like, no, you just take Midol. Like, and you talk to gynecologists and obstetricians. They're like, oh yeah, no, like it's totally normal to have pain on your periods. Common. But not normal. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I'm like, normal <laughs> in the sense that people, a lot of people have it, like common. Not efficient is what we want to get your body to. We yes. want it to be the most efficient alignment yes. and everything like that. So if you have adhesions, the reason why people have painful periods is if their uterus is stuck at all and it's kind of held up in the pelvic girdle. As the uterus contracts to shed the lining during your period, if there's adhesions and things pulling, it's pulling on the muscles, it's pulling on, pulling on the areas, and that's what causes the pain. The uterus should be able to fully contract, shed the lining without having any abnormal tensions. The yeah. abnormal tensions are what those cramps are so if someone's telling me yeah no I've got cramps I'm like okay there are some adhesion problems and it's interesting because after my clients have babies it seems to be like common conversations that I hear within my communities or even that they're having with me is like my periods never used to be like this yeah well that makes actually perfect sense that Mm -hmm. they never used to be like this like so you've had three pregnancies, two C-sections, and now you have really painful periods. Like that actually makes perfect sense because you probably have exactly what Heather's talking about. So I think that's really a huge thing to get out to like educate women alone because I don't think we're getting this kind of information at all from our doctors. No, because they're going off what's normal. They're going off what's in the research and the literature as to what's normal, not necessarily what's efficient, what it could be. Right. And so they're going off based what they know. And they also don't understand necessarily the mechanics behind it of how that could occur, which seems crazy that they don't understand that. It, it, yeah. Yeah. That they could be adhesions. You know, they immediately go to like, oh, if you have bad periods, it must just be endometriosis. It's not always endometriosis. I mean, yes, that's a big component of things, but that's a small percentage of the population that has it. They're probably overdiagnosed. Way overdiagnosed, I would say so. And so it's nice to be able to understand and try to get out there that it's not normal and you should fight for your right not to have a painful period. I had horrific periods growing up and I've worked so hard and I don't have any pain whatsoever in my periods anymore. It's almost like a surprise when it shows up. It's Same. Like, I have, I've, like, I'd never know it's coming. I used to know it was coming. Same. And now it's like, oh, hello. <laughs> I was just thinking about that this morning. I'm like, I never tried my period. I, it's like, it's literally just like one day I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Got to take up my don't clothes. Have the symptoms. Just... You don't need to have the symptoms either. And that's the yeah, thing. Yeah. You don't I just... have to have that stuff. And I also find that some of the PMS symptoms go down too when you, because then now the ovaries, which are also producing estrogen, if they can move properly, then you're not having these weird spikes because they're trying to get it all out and they can't. So they almost overproduce. Yes. And that becomes a that's, problem. As yeah. Well. Interesting. I hear that a lot actually on my 30 day slim down, which is elimination diet. So, like, the number one thing that 30 day slim down we are trying to do is reduce inflammation and like fix your gut health. And all the time, every month, I have clients that say the same thing. Like, my, I have 
my period used to be so painful and now it's like totally fine. And it makes sense. So yeah. what you're saying, if you're lowering the inflammation yeah. and just imagine if you're doing both, if like you're getting a hands-on manual treatment yeah. to help release those adhesions, plus you're attacking, removing the inflammation from like a nutritional standpoint. It's yeah. like, cause I never tell my patients like, Oh, this is the end all be all. Like, let me just mobilize it and you'll have no pain. It's like, no, we need to look at what you're eating too. Yeah. Especially if I see the adhesions come back, if I've like cleared stuff up and then all of a sudden you are maybe good for a month or two and then things come back, but there hasn't been a trauma. Like there hasn't been a fall. Then I'm like, we really need to look at your nutrition and what you're eating that might be causing inflammation. Um, cause that's leading to these adhesions coming back again and again. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. Um, so when someone comes in and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting pregnant or I've been trying to get pregnant and can't, mm-hmm. and you find adhesions like kind of, what is there like a certain protocol that you go through, which is different for every single person? Or like, what do you do as it's different for every single person? I always say that if you give me a hundred people in the room with the same medical diagnosis, I'll give you a hundred different reasons why that occurred. So I think that's a hard thing too. Like we've talked uh, just recently about why is there not a lot of research out there, or the research isn't very good, and it can't be. I know. I was telling Heather, I'm like, you need to do a research study on this. And I was saying that it like it's not going to take it seriously. It's it has to be only like a case series. It can't yeah. be a randomized control trial because every person's reason for any sort of dysfunction in their body is individual to them. Right. And what happened to them. Yeah. And so I can't like come up with this protocol of things, but there's certain areas that I definitely look at. I mean, I'm looking at the position of the uterus, position of the ovaries, fallopian tubes, which I can all palpate with my hands. I can feel the little fallopian tubes. I can feel the ovaries are the size of almonds, the position to the uh, bladder. So the bladder sitting in front of the uterus, the uterus is kind of coming yep. on top of it. So we want to make sure there can be expansion moving off of there. And then also uterus to rectum in the back. Because you actually have two ligaments that go from the top of the uterus back onto the sacrum and kind of go around the rectum, goes through the center, if that makes sense. Okay. So like two little slingshots <clears throat> back, rectum goes down. So we want to make sure that that can move um, as well. So we're looking at the positions just in the pelvic girdle. We're looking at the coccyx, the tailbone, because that's going to be a main driver for any sort of pelvic obliquities. So if you have an elevated pelvis, posterior tilt, anterior tilt, any sort of thing like that, usually it's the tailbone. That's the cause of it. You need to get that back into place. That's interesting. It's something that's also very common to take note of. I've never seen anybody with an efficient tailbone. No. Really? Yeah. And all the classes that we've taught to, like we keep track in the, the IPA. And I think now we're over 8,000 coccyxes that are all um, just, you know, there's some sort of trauma to it. There's some sort of dysfunction to it. So do you think it's possible in 2019 with the lifestyle that we all have of sitting and, you know, having a standard American diet with how inflammatory it is? Do you think it's possible to not have adhesions that are restricting you in some way, whether it's fertility or something else? No. I mean, you, Same. everyone lives life. Yeah. And, you know, we're not as yeah, cause we're not as healthy as we used to be and we're not moving our bodies. I think when we were out working the land, it was it's totally different. different. Like I was just in Africa earlier. I this mean, year. even stress alone. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about how stressful our life is now compared to 150 years ago. And where do people hold it? A lot of people hold it in, in their gut. In their gut. Yeah. Like there's like a protective mechanism there. Mm-hmm. Like that's our underbelly. You don't want to affect it. But totally. I was just in Africa training physical therapists there. And it was great to work with these like patients who just farmers that like their lives are stressful because they're trying to provide for their families. Right. But they don't, they don't have visceral adhesions very what? much. Yeah. Their visceral adhesions were very minimal. It was only the way older group, like in the, in their nineties, like I was treating some people in their nineties there that had more visceral adhesions, but in general, like but it was interesting, though. Some of the clients that came in, because it's like 
there's people from all around. It's a very poor area that I was in Uganda. Um, the people that lived in more metropolis areas that were richer, you know, had more money and had more means, they were the ones that had the visceral adhesions because I think they weren't out working the land and, you know, moving their bodies and then eating, uh, you know, a healthy diet. They were, you know, more like modernized like we wow, are in that's this country. so interesting. Yeah, it was nice to finally see some, you know, small intestines that were moving properly rather than... <laughs> Is that... Have you ever seen it in like an American? No. Not that hasn't gotten work done. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah. It's not always best to be in a uh, modernized society. Sometimes there's some things that were much better about being kind of when it was more simple. Yeah. Yeah, That's really interesting. Um, So I know probably a lot of people might be listening or watching and thinking like, oh my God, I totally have adhesions. Like I can't get pregnant. I've been trying to get pregnant, whatever, whatever. Like I wanted to kind of dive into like what your protocols would be if like someone walked in and said these things. So like, mm-hmm. thanks for going over that. Cause I think it would be helpful for people to hear and be able to take maybe that information to a PT in their area, because yeah. obviously it's hard to find someone like Heather, you know, if you're in, you know, Southern California, you can come see her, but, um, or you can fly and come see me or you can like fly said, and do intensives, countries, yeah. which I honestly, I, I think that's an investment worth making personally, just because yeah. I see the value in all this stuff. But, um, like I guess what, advice would you give people that are far away that either can't come see you Mm -hmm. but think or know that they need like this sort of treatments like what tools or advice would you give them for trying to find a PT like CFM CFMT so uh we can always link in the show notes the Institute of Physical Arts uh address where they can search the area to see if there's any CFMTs near them do you Uh, feel like that's the best bet that's the best bet I would say uh for a sort of approach. Like there's other, I don't just do the FMT approach. I do other approaches too. Like I don't want to just specialize in one area. I want right. to bring in, you know, nuggets from everywhere else. But I've, I do see that we have uh, this sort of approach and then also Baral visceral manipulation. Uh, Baral is a Jean-Pierre Baral. He's a osteopath in France. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that do Baral. So you can also check the Baral Institute as well. But if you're going to a physical therapist for it and maybe they don't have their CFMT or they're not IPA trained, I would ask them first like to check neural tension. Okay. Um, which the PT should know neural tension. And if they don't. If they don't. Get a new one. Get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't want to throw PTs at the best, but like neural tension is a huge component yeah. of things. And then um, I would say that I always treat the tailbone first. So if okay. someone comes in for fertility, it's tailbone first because there are 27 fascial attachments onto the tailbone. So do you feel like that's the biggest yes. issue? That is tailbone. a keystone structure of the body. So, so that's interesting because I feel like people, I mean, I've never heard that before. Like yeah. it's uh, you're public, having fertility public, issues, like look at the tailbone. Look like, at the tailbone. Which seems crazy, but because of those 27 different fascial attachments. Makes sense, totally. Yeah. And then to dive down more of a little nerd route that's a little bit outside of what we're talking about right now. But the, the reason why the coccyx, so tailbone coccyx, same thing. The reason why it's so important is because there is a connective tissue around your entire nervous system, central and peripheral, called your dura. It's like yes. the saran wrap mm-hmm. around everything. And the saran wrap uh, anchors in two places. Like I said, it's continuous to the entire body. And it anchors in two places. One's your sphenoid bone, the bone your brain sits on. So I always ask about head traumas too, if you've had multiple concussions, because that can be off and that can be causing the neural tension issues. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I actually had a um, 
side note, I had a patient this week that came in that had low back pain and I've known her for a while and treated her out. And she just kind of comes in for tune-ups when she has pain. And I was like, well, when did this pain start? And she's like, oh, you know, like maybe two months ago. And I'm like, did anything else happen? Because I noticed her eyes were actually a little off center. They weren't her normal, like symmetrical level. And she goes, oh, I had a concussion too. So, um, wow. So the concussion actually led, so her sphenoid bone came off and kind of wiggled. So I treated just her sphenoid bone, which I do that in through the mouth. And then I, we retracked her pelvis and her pelvis was equal level again. And 50% of her pain was gone by treating just the sphenoid bone. So it was a neural tension component for yep. her. So it was concussion. So you need the, so the anchoring points are the coccyx and the sphenoid bone. So if either one of those is rotated, deviated, flex extended, whatever, not in neutral, the musculoskeletal system will make changes to take pressure off the nervous system. Because there's a hierarchy of all the organ systems in your body where nervous nervous system and cardiovascular system reign supreme. So if there's anything straining those, your musculoskeletal system, which is like at the bottom of the list of the organ systems, will go out, will compensate and move out of the way. But that also means like that's going to move your other organs that are sitting in there out of the way, like the woman that was learning how to snowboard. So her, and it was funny because like I said, the pictures, it's like right pelvis was elevated, left pelvis was posteriorly rotated and her uterus was up and then tilted backwards like this in all the imaging. So getting her tailbone back down is going like alignment there. So you need to fix the, t- you need to go neural tension first. Okay. So that's, so they, you need to have a PT check neural tension. You hopefully get them to treat your coccyx. If you need your sphenoid treated, hopefully they can treat that too. And then going to the visceral organs themselves, looking at the bladder, uterus, ovaries, fallopian tubes, rectum, things like that. That's what I would try to find a PT that would be open and willing to kind of have that conversation and see where they want to go with things. And if you have a PT that thinks that visceral work is not a thing, find you just need PT. to find another PT. Yeah. Why do you think that is that some PTs just straight up think it's just fake, really? I mean. So I was thinking of this the other day after we kind of had a talk about, because you were talking about how I'm, I'm not specifically infertility or pelvic floor specialist. I treat everything. And I think what happens is that specialization stifles imagination. So if you are only specialized in one area, like if if you're a PT that only does ortho and you think that ortho is the only thing, you are closing yourself off to everything else that could be a problem. And I think that's where these difficulties lie that I'm trying to open their mind. Like in the visceral class I teach, we, the only joint we treat the entire weekend is the coccyx. And it's because of the effect it has on the whole musculoskeletal system. Everything else we're looking at function of the body of the musculoskeletal system. Those are all the tests that we're doing. We're looking at how can you bend? How can you extend? How's your strength? How's your core engaging? But then all we do are treat the organs, right? That's it. And it's, so great. I love that course because you just see people's eyes light up to like, I never in a million years thought that I should treat the gallbladder to fix someone's left shoulder mobilization. And so I think it's just opening up their eyes that they just have specialized in one area. And because of that, they've lost their ability to think outside the box. And it's not outside the box that it's like, voodoo yeah it's all anatomy it's all based in science but it's just like I think when you specialize in one area it just stifles imagination for what could be the cause yeah and like while we're on that topic can we just just talk for a sec about like pelvic floor therapists and pelvic floor specialists because I feel like 
you know, for a long time, people were scared to exercise during pregnancy. Now we've kind of like overcome that. Yeah. Like most people know you should be exercising during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. The standard of care post-pregnancy was, you know, little to none for like a very long time. In this country especially. Yeah. And now I feel like some, not all, but some OBs and even moms like are like, okay, you had a vaginal birth or a C-section. You know, if you're feeling like there's any issues, you need to go see a pelvic floor therapist. Yeah. And in my personal and professional opinion, to be honest with you, I think that is really limiting mom so much because, mm-hmm. you know, no offense, but like physical therapy, no matter what kind of physical therapy is expensive and often yeah. not really covered by insurance. So if mom's going to spend $200 on a session with a pelvic floor therapist, when she just is getting her pelvic floor checked, like in my opinion, money would be so much better spent on someone like you yeah. because just because she's, let's say leaking when she runs, that doesn't necessarily mean that a pelvic floor therapist is like the only in one person that's going to be able to like fix that. Like, I'm not trying to take away from what they do. Like, I think that, you know, I think that their intentions are good, Of course, but like you're saying, I think they're so hyper-focused on the pelvic floor that, the issue's not always coming from the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have people that come and do my post-pregnancy app rehab program and we do their pelvic floor tests in the beginning of the program. Their pelvic floor is fine, but they will have leaking when they do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, well then something's going on here. Yeah. But when we treat and strengthen and work on the alignment, the posture, and then we work on activating the whole core unit, TVA, everything else, their leaking stops. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, was that her pelvic floor or was it something else yeah. that was a, a trickle down effect impacting the function of the pelvic floor? Yeah. Well, especially during pregnancy. I mean, you have this baby that all of a sudden takes over your entire abdominal cavity. <laughs> everything else just like has to move out of the way. Right. And it doesn't mean that when it goes back, that it goes back perfect. And exactly. that's where the biggest problems lie. And I think sometimes that limitation of pelvic floor um, therapy where it's strictly pelvic floor and they're not looking anywhere else. It's like you're missing everything that's happening up and above. And the core is a can. Yep. You know, it's not just the bottom here. You yep. need to make sure that the transverse abdominus is working. Yeah. yeah. You need to make sure the diaphragm is working and even the vocal cords. Like latest research is actually showing the core starts in the vocal cords. Yep. And, and the pelvic floor is really attached to your palate, like your yeah, throat. Exactly. Because any, any muscle that stabilizes your spine is considered a core muscle. And so you have core muscles in your spine. So it's amazing sometimes, like I've worked with a lot of professional athletes and they have weakness in their lower extremities. And it's like they're doing sports, like especially linemen. I've worked with a lot of linemen and they're always head up, right? When they get into the stance, they're head up, they're heading to extension. That's going, going to extension is inhibiting their core muscles in their neck, which is then inhibiting all the core muscles down in their legs. So I teach them how to stabilize through their neck. And then all of a sudden their leg strength comes back like that, like instantaneous strength, because now their core is truly firing. And those muscles that are made for strength, but not endurance, like your core muscles are just mm. pure endurance muscles, then they can do just the job that they're supposed to. And so I think when you just look pelvic floor, you're missing everything up above it. Yep. But like I said, we were talking about, it's hard to find somebody that's going to be looking at everything. Yep. So that's why we're, we're trying to do these things to get people excited. And hopefully some people yeah. excited too about opening up their mindset into treating the whole person, yeah. the whole body. Yeah. And that's not meaning like in a holistic way. It means like just 
pure scientific way if you're not into the holistic side of things. Exactly. Yeah. And <clears throat> people will write me like, I have issues with my pelvic floor. Do you have a pelvic floor program? And I'm like, <laughs> no, you need to do my post-pregnancy ab rehab program. Well, I, my abs are fine. Girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> if your pelvic floor is not fine, <laughs> your abs are not fine. We do it all together. Yeah. Um, and like the same thing goes like I, you know, I have a really weak core, but, you know, I don't have diastasis, but clearly core dysfunction. I'm like, yeah. okay, we're treating it the same way. Yeah. Like you're doing the same program. Like I'm not going to capitalize on like marketing techniques by making like a pelvic floor program yeah. and like separating it out because that's not the most efficient and effective it's way to heal you. It's not going to be effective. You. Yeah. And you don't want your brand. Yeah. It's like, it's so easy to just like, no, this is my 10 step protocol. And the, you know, this is going to fix everything. No, it, it has to be an all encompassing look. And you know, it has to be fixing the mechanical restrictions, seeing what's happening yep. with diet, see what's happening. Straight, you know, it has to be everything together to get back to optimal health. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, last question on this. Why is no one talking about this stuff? Because I think the knowledge isn't out there. Like I said, you know, we were talking the other day, again, about the whole specialization thing. In the U.S., for whatever reason, being a generalist, like being a primary care physician or a GP, is almost looked as like down upon. Like you want to be the specialist. You want to be the cardiothoracic surgeon. You want to be the neurologist. Like nobody wants to be like a general person like all over the body. In Europe, it's totally different. Europe, like GPs are the highest. They are the gatekeepers for everybody. No specialist does anything without a GP first approving it. Right. And they're looking at all the different information, all the different organ systems to put the whole picture together. So that's kind of what I do. And I think, like I said, when I'm teaching these courses, I have PTs raise their hand like, oh yeah, I just do ortho or I do cardiopolymer. Oh yeah, I do pelvic floor. And I'm like, why don't you do all of it? Like, why do you want to specialize in one? You're such, you're pigeonholing yourself. Yeah, and you're you something are. So myopic into what you're doing when, like I said, you, just, you don't want to stifle that imagination. Let's think bigger picture. Let's really listen to our patients. Let's understand how all the organ systems go together. And that also makes sure that I'm always learning. I should always be learning. If I'm not learning, then I should stop being yeah, I PT. totally agree. Yeah. And it's the same thing in your profession. Like, mm -hmm. New things are always coming up and making those connections. And the more patients you see, you know, or more clients you see, the more you kind of start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And so yeah. I think we're trying to open it up. Unfortunately, insurance reimbursement also makes it hard, too, that a lot of people just kind of want to stay in their their lane of things because it's a lot of manual. And unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover a lot of manual work to be done. Do you think that that will change? I think that was a lot more concierge medicine. I think that, you know, I'm out of network for yeah. all providers mm -hmm. and, um, because I want, I don't want the insurance companies to dictate what yeah, I do. Yeah. Limit patients. you. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that, um, it's going more towards that way, but not there yet. Yeah. Probably take a while. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> that was really great. I say, can we, I really want to talk about C-sections, but I also want to talk about diastasis. I don't know which one we should do. <laughs> um, let's maybe dive into diastasis for a second. Okay. Um, I think it's really important for my audience or anyone listening really to understand the role that adhesions and mechanical restrictions can play in healing diastasis. Yeah. Um, I also don't want to you know, discourage anyone from, it's just, I don't want to discourage anyone from trying to 
do other methods to heal diastasis because yeah. I feel like there's lots of ways that you can heal a core post-pregnancy. But I do think it's really important for people to understand, especially those who have really tried to heal their diastasis but haven't been able to. Mm-hmm. I think those moms need to hear it the most because I think that they think it's like their fault. No. They're not doing enough of the, the, these exercises. They're not breathing right. They're, you know, their posture isn't perfect. And no one's no one's alignment posture is perfect. No. I mean, your core is a little, is perfect, but <laughs> not everyone could be like Heather. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I, I am very, very proud of that too, <laughs> that my core automatically fires and it's strong. It's, yeah. it's one of my... I've actually never met anyone that is like that. You're the first one. Even other PTs I've had will will straight up be like, oh, yeah, I'm off here. Oh, every single course that I teach and we were like doing the the test to check the automatic core engagement. No one. I'm always end up being the example. And so Heather has this test where basically like you are stagger stance and she'll tell you engage. And like I try to like really get set up like. (laughs) Because I really want to, like, pass. And then she'll just, like, push on you. And if you can hold, then your core is, like, Im- immediately firing, essentially. Yeah. And you shouldn't be moving at all. There should be no delay. If there is, like, a delay where I come on and you backbend a little bit and then you engage, that's still not an automatic core engagement. Because if you come and touch me, it's literally, like, I'm not yeah. moving. And I could do it with my eyes closed. I don't need to see when you're coming. Because it doesn't matter. If it's if you have the right alignment, then the muscles can contract uh, properly. And it's a spinal reflex. So the information, as soon as I touch the person, it, their core feels it. That, it. that message from the muscle gets sent to the spine and it goes right back again. So that's what makes it automatic. When there's a delay, it means that information had to travel up to the brain and then figure, oh, I need to contract those muscles and go back down again. And then it, it, it activates. We want to have an automatic core engagement, right. not a delay. Because I think anyone that has kids too, like my daughter is a daredevil and will climb to the top of things and also be like, mama, catch me. And I'm like turning and she's jumping on me. Yeah. And if totally. my core is not firing automatically, I'm throwing out my back. Right. And so, yeah, we have, we have a different way of kind of looking at core strength and the automaticity of the core. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, well, no one's, you know, really perfect. We all no. have our th- areas to work on. Right. But the mom who like goes through a whole program, like even my program, and she's like, yeah, I've closed my gap down to this, but like I'm still having tenting or coning in this position or whatever. Yeah. If that happens, which it does happen sometimes, I my first thing is to send them to a CFMT yeah. because I know that it's probably a mechanical restriction. Exactly. And no matter what they do, they're probably not going to be able to release it on their own. Well, it's what I like to think about is it, like it's the, the alignment of your body is the foundation of your house. Yes. If you are off in alignment, you almost have a crack in that foundation. And the more that you try to pour on top or you try to reinforce with things like, you know, trying to do these strengthening exercises, if there's a crack, it's still a crack. crack. And it's going to make the house less stable. So you have to fix those mechanical restrictions and get the pelvis sitting right, get the abdominal adhesions cleared up. So then your core muscles can actually fire automatically and protect your spine the way they're supposed to. So unfortunately, there's cases where where, yeah, their alignment's pretty good. They just need to work on the neuromuscular re-education, strengthening the muscles again. But sometimes, like you're saying, there comes a point where you've tried all these things, and if you're still having problems, that's when you need to have a more intensive intervention with a skilled physical therapist that kind of understands that foundation of the house and what you need to get to, to Mm -hmm. get, you know, to clear, to clean up that crack and make it as strong as possible. Yeah, and I was asking Heather, you know, because I didn't see Heather during my last pregnancy or during my first pregnancy, and... I was like, 
just asking her, like, do any of your clients that see you pre, during, and post-pregnancy, have you ever seen any of them have diastasis after pregnancy? And I said no. She if, said if, no. If I see them beforehand, if I see them beforehand, if I can clear up everything beforehand, and do you want to get into, like, the specific areas that I clean up for Yeah, I diastasis? think let's, yeah, let's talk, like, the mesenteric root. The mesenteric root, Because yeah. it, even I sent someone to a CFMT, and the CFMT didn't know what that was. A CFMT didn't know what that was? Okay, that CFMT needs to take that. <laughs> I was like, can I grab their name? I'm yeah. taking this to Heather. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure they're going to be. I'm teaching all over the country next year. I'll make sure that they come to that course. Yeah. Oh, come on, CFMTs. So um, there is a great research. It was a case study or case series that uh, Brandy Kirk and uh, Terry uh, Elliott Burke ended up putting together. It's on actually the Baral Institute. We can link that in the show okay. notes of the poster presentation that they did. So they've done a lot of dissections of fresh cadavers. So that means like bodies that haven't been altered or changed. And what they found was the mesenteric root, which is what suspends the small intestines. So you have the small intestines, like which is like 20, 10 to, or sorry, 15 to 20 feet of small intestine loop mm-hmm. is sitting within the middle of your abdominal cavity. And it's not just thrown in there. It has to be suspended somehow. So you have, it's almost think of it as like a tree. So you have all of the loops on the top and then it starts to come down through the mesentery and then comes down into one specific like layer of your body called the mesenteric root. So what they found during their dissection was that that, that, that mesenteric root didn't just stop at the back of their spine. It didn't just stop at that posterior right. peritoneal cavity. It then started to come out and around and actually went to the outside borders of your rectus abdominis. So the rectus abdominis is what splits during the diastasis. Right. So those borders, so that's what it ends. It ends at those borders. So if that mesenteric root is adhered, if it's stuck, mm-hmm. it's going to be pulling, pulling and tensioning the away the, um, the lateral borders of the rectus causing the diastasis. Mm-hmm. So by then they, so from knowing this about their anatomy and doing all these fresh cadaver dissections, they went to, they, I think they just did three women that they were having diastasis issues and they treated just the mesenteric root using manual techniques and all of their diastasis went away. Now I know this is such a hot button topic and it we is. might get some people not so happy about this, yeah. but when we were talking about this, like sometimes mm-hmm. like cause some people say you, you can't really cure the diastasis or it's just, I, I think the biggest thing is that you need to get integrity, that you need to get the core yep. functioning. That's number one for me. That's number one. And that should <laughs> always be number one. But I feel like it's all about the gap, the it's gap, the gap. About and the gap. I've tried to start like really putting that out there. Like, I mean, my, my clients know that, but like even on social, because I'll, everyone, these like experts that are doing these postnatal programs, even yeah. PTs are like, did you close your gap? Did you close your gap? And I'm like, but I, if you have a two finger gap, but good integrity, like I don't really, I don't care about the gap. Yeah. Like we can send, you know, you to Heather Yeah, yeah. and she can close your gap. Cosmetically but like, we can close are you, the gap. Are yeah. you functioning? Like, is it yeah. functional? Like, are you activating and, and is there good integrity? Yeah. So, and, and a lot of times it is needed that you get the mesoteric going. And sometimes I don't always close the, the gap. I mean, for the most part, it's like three to four sessions, the gaps close. But my reason is just to make sure that the core is strong and where you're not firing from. So that test you were talking about where I'm trying to push you over, Mm -hmm. that's what's telling me if the core is firing or not. But the mesenteric root, it just seems like time and time again, getting that mobilized. And that just makes sense. If it's literally at the borders and if it's, it's literally just going to pick a pulling apart, opening everything apart. It it makes perfect sense. You got to get it to mobilize and it's not a lot to get it mobilized. And then you can teach your patients how to mobilize it themselves. 
and that that can I'll if it's like someone's really stuck then I'll teach them how to do a self-mobilization and they can start to help close it themselves or also too it's a lot of low I mean, back I think pain that should be your first online program maybe okay, I mean we'll, we'll talk about this but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> later Nancy's trying, I'm to, trying to, to force to Heather to get online <laughs> yeah um because yeah and like maybe let's maybe like is it possible for people to do these kind of techniques on, on themselves like the they have to have root for sure and some of the visceral stuff of like the ovaries and the uterus but is honestly it like dangerous to, to, to i don't know you're not gonna hurt yourself really that badly i mean you have to know the personality type if someone's like I like, I just know that if I have a patient where I'm like, okay, you're only going to do four sets of 10 of this. And they come back and they're like, I did 10 sets of 10 and I did three times a day. Like that person, I am not having them mobilize their own intestines because they are just going to go to town on it and overdo it. So some of those things, but I think having an introduction first from a PT for at least the pelvic, the small intestines, I feel comfortable that people can mobilize their own small intestines, that it's not going to cause any problems. Um, But in terms of like uterus, ovaries, bladder, it's a little bit more of a sensitive where I would want to teach them kind of where they're going and where to be pushing. But you can, like you can help with your mesenteric root and why not? And do you feel like the mesenteric root is like, the number one spot you go first for diastasis or it just coccyx then. Oh really? Yeah. So same. Well, cause all those fascial connections of the peritoneum attach onto the yeah. coccyx too. Okay. So I have to release the coccyx and get that neutral first. Otherwise I'm fighting a tension that's always going to be there. Right. So even if you release the mesenteric root, it, doesn't it, would, matter. it would go back out of place again because in the, like, yet again, that hierarchy of the organ systems, like intestines, like the, your, your digestive systems like in the middle. But it's not above neuro. And coccyx is all about neuro. And so that's always going to make things move out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to release the neural tension. That's so fascinating. Yeah. I feel like that's a huge miss happening. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of PTs get weird about touching the, the tailbone if they don't touch it. And I'm like, you've had me do it on you. Yeah. It's, it's external. It's very rare. You have to do internal. And if you do, then find somebody that feels comfortable doing internal. But it's like, I always do. you do have, internal? Yeah, I do internals um, if it's needed, but yeah. a lot of times it's not needed. Um, but I like talk to PTs and I'm like, you are not going to like do a peekaboo into the anus. Like you're fine. Yeah. Like where the coccyx is. It's not is. even like that close. I mean, it's close, it's, but it's not like that close. No, but you, at any point when I was treating your tailbone, did you at all think that? No, I was we were like s- talking about like moving. I don't yeah, even know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really, I think some PTs are squirmish about it. And I think if you... If the PT is uncomfortable. You're probably going to make your client uncomfortable. Exactly. So I always say like, yeah. you have to come in with confidence. Like I, my first, I did an internal mobilization on a 30 year old man, like had never had any sort of things. And it's like, uh, but I came with total confidence in it. And he was totally confident with it as well. Like, okay, this is, there's a medical reason why we're going to do this and procedure <laughs> to do it. And he was fine with it. And so I think you just, as a PT, you have to come out with confidence that you, have, and you explain to your patient why this is so important. And I've never had anybody say no. Yeah. I know. And I find it, it's like I, this summer I was talking to my husband about something and I'm like, some people need an internal mobilization down there. Like it yeah. just, and he's like laughing. Like he's like, a, I'm like a joke. And I'm like, this is probably what everyone thinks when I say stuff like this. Okay. Like to me, it just seems so normal. Cause Aaron used to talk about doing that yeah. sometimes, you know? And I'm like, it for it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's not like it's a sexual thing. I mean, it's it, like, it is not sexual whatsoever. <laughs> And for men too, actually, when they do the prostate check, they have to go in deeper than you have to do for an internal coccyx mobe. So that's why I always tell men too. I'm like, I'm not going as deep as they're going to go for your prostate. And guess what? As soon as you turn 50, you're going to be getting your prostate checked. So yeah, that's good. Like, that's a good it's perspective. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we should talk 
touch on about diastasis, do you think? I mean, I know we can go like very, very deep, but. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is trying to get all the muscles to fire properly. Um, and that's that whole pelvic alignment stuff. So just figuring out where the crack in the foundations occurred and treating that. Um, I always say that injuries are like a leak through your ceiling. The ceiling tile is where you had pain or where the, maybe the diastasis is, but that doesn't mean that's where the water didn't just magically appear there. The water came from someplace else. So my job is to go find the water, find that leak, turn it off and replace the ceiling tile. I think unfortunately a lot of traditional PT is just about replacing ceiling tiles, yeah. which is a great business model because they keep coming back. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's one of those things that's like, I always say to my patients that if you come back to the same injury twice, I didn't do my job. Yeah. Either I didn't find the leak or I didn't educate you well enough to understand how that leak occurred so that you don't allow it to happen. So I'd rather see a patient for far few treatments and then you go and tell all your friends about me. Exactly. And then they come and see me rather than just keeping these patients forever and just replacing ceiling tiles because that's not fair to the patient. And I got into this job to make people feel better and get them moving on with their lives so that they don't need me. Yeah. I always say I want to see you in the grocery store and say hi to you or at dinner and say hi to you. I don't want to see you back in my office. Yeah. And I think that is powerful because really then you end up being able to touch and help more people. Yeah. If you're just replacing ceiling tiles, you have a, a, a book full of clients that have been seeing you consecutively every single week for however long. And yeah. it's like, well, then you're limited because you can't see more people. Yeah. Um, I have the same as on nutrition and fitness side. I have the same mentality. It's like, I always tell people like, I want to teach you how to fish I don't want to always be giving you the fish. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to have to plan your meals for, like, ever. Yeah. Like, I want to plan your meals for as long as it takes for you to get it. Yeah, to learn, learn the tools, yeah. Implement, like, yeah. see the results that you want to see. And then I want you to go do it. Like, you shouldn't need me. You know, it's yeah. I, I totally, I feel the same, same, well, same, During same my fellowship, if uh, our fellowship instructors, if we hadn't made significant changes in a patient, by four sessions. Sometimes it was three. And when you got towards the end of the fellowship, it had to be by three sessions over half of, they had to be at least 50% better. Then we're figuring out what the heck haven't you done right. Now think of traditional PT where it's like, you're seeing me three times a week for like 12 weeks. And it's like, no, 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 no. In fellowship, you have three to four times to make them 50% better. Otherwise we're bringing in the big guns and figuring out why the heck. And I think that seems to be, and, and also too, like when people kind of balk about the fact that I don't take insurance, it's like, but you're not paying a co-pavement yeah. for six months to see someone three times a week. Yeah. I mean, like it's a thousand bucks now or it's 5,000 over the course of, yeah. Like how do you want to deal with this? Cause it's about, and to be able to do cash-based practice, like I do, you got to have the tools in your toolbox to be able to say like, oh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm worth this. And that's why I went through all my training is so that it's like, I can help people and help them quicker and get them out. Yeah. And then hopefully they tell more people they come in and I, I can just spread my reach so much further and helping people rather than just having people come in and again and again and again. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we can do like a little rapid fire Q and a. Sure. Um, okay. For maybe like 10 minutes and then I know you, we have to wrap. Yeah, sure. So, Okay. I had one question that's like not even on this paper that I wanted. Do you know what EMS training is? No. You know where they put like the electrodes on your. Oh, yeah. Would that create adhesions inside your body? No. Okay. It's not at a, a rate high enough to cause anything. Okay. I was just wondering about that personally. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, what's the cr- okay rapid fire Q and A? Are you ready? I think I'm ready. I don't know how rapid fire I can do it, but okay. we'll see how rapid fire I can do it. What's the craziest thing you fixed through visceral work? There's a f- I'll I'll give you two things, different things. So one based on fertility. So a woman who had tried to do egg retrieval for reasons of kidneys she couldn't actually carry her own child so they had to do egg retrieval she had had tried three different times through the egg retrieval she only had uh like 10 or 11 eggs come out a total of all three and only out of the right side none of them were viable she worked with me found out that there had been a lot of trauma um she had been abused um as a child and kicked in the abdomen multiple times unfortunately so I freed up, there was a lot of tension around ovaries, freed it up. She went back to her doctors to do the last egg retrieval. She, the eggs were already starting to grow. They didn't have to put her on any hormones because mm. they had had a pumper through some hormones yeah. for the first three. So no hormones. They just had to do the trigger release shot. And then she got 14 eggs, eight of them coming from the left-hand side. Oh my god! And I think 10 of them were viable. That's amazing. So now her and her partner have possibilities. So that was wonderful to see that she had put all this money into egg retrievals. Nothing had worked. Just coming in, getting to free things up, everything just started growing, didn't have to do hormones. That was amazing to be able to help. And then actually just recently a guy had a course. He has something weird with esophagus where his esophagus is tiny. Like when they went up to scope it, they have to do a neonatal scope. Oh, wow. They can't even do a pediatric scope. And he ha- throws up multiple times a day because oh. of food getting stuck. And he has to do like this weird neck movement to get it going. He was my example for the esophagus when I teach in the visceral course. And he was able to eat a granola bar without any problems. He was drinking water. He literally had no desire to to throw up oh at gosh. all. And that was literally, he was 15 minutes up on my table and getting it going. So that's like life. Does stuff like that make you want to cry when you realize like how much you've impacted someone's life? It is it like emotional for it you. Is emotional. For me, it's like emotional for me. It, is, it, it can be really emotional. I'm just really happy for them. But that's where I feel like it's coming from. Like I'm so happy. I'm oh, like yeah. crying because I'm so happy for them. Yeah. No, I, yeah. It's, I'm just not a big crier because I'd like to be able oh, to yeah. keep up that professional <laughs> ball. But I'm like, I'm very excited for that person. And there are times that's like when I reflect on it, I'm like, this is, I love what I do because I can have such a instant positive impact on people. Yeah. So yeah, the viscera, there's, there's so many other stories, but those two, like the one specifically for infertility and then yeah, the guy with. That's crazy. Strangey, like small, small esophagus that now he can eat. Like he went to a concert that night with his daughter and he didn't have to go try to find a porta potty to throw up in. He was actually able to stay with his daughter the whole time to Mm. see the concert. So things like that. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to see what just a little bit of treatment can do in the viscera. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Okay. C-section moms. Yes. Is it harder for a C-section mom to recover than a vaginal birth mom? It can be, especially if there was any sort of complications. And then when did they when did they get started with PT? When did they get that scar mobilized? They had no mobilization until at least twelve weeks post surgery. That's horrific. It should be a lot sooner. Yeah. yeah. When is when do you? I tell people to start gentle massage four to six weeks post. Yeah, I would say even starting two weeks. Uh, you always stay away from the ends of the scars for six weeks. So mobilization of the ends of the scars, like the last centimeter of a scar, okay. will actually cause hypertrophy of the scars. I actually had that. Well, I ruptured mine, but yeah, I, the, I did yeah, have that In the sun. first six weeks. So I never do it. And it's one of those things like you're just pinching the ends together and just moving it up mm-hmm. and down. Very, very gentle. So as long as they start mobilizing um, and there's no complications, they can have what a full recovery. Okay. What if it's been years without any treatment to the C-section or any skin organ muscle layers nothing's been treated 
it's going to take a lot longer. I might not, I probably won't be able to get you back to a hundred percent, but 90, 95%. That's sure. good. That's good. So complete healing is possible. Yes. If you are your own advocate, because a if, lot of doctors aren't going to. That's it right there. Yeah, you have to be your own advocate. C-section moms have to be. Yeah. Because a lot of doctors, it's just so sad. Like it like kind of breaks my heart because of what I, the knowledge I have yeah. and being a C-section mom and the knowledge I know that people are not getting and they're yeah. getting dismissed and they're being told that like the painful sex is from something else. Yeah. The lower back pain is just whatever. The bladder issues are nothing. Yeah. No, you have to be it's your own cr- advocate, sadly enough, because they're just, get again, that specialization. Sometimes it's hard to look big picture. Right. So what do you think if a C-section mom comes to you right away mm-hmm. or starts really on anything? Like she does a, she starts on her anti-inflammatory diet. Yeah. She's like really working on like recovery in other ways, um, activating her core, going through an app rehab program, plus doing some sort of tissue work, whether it's with you well, really, let's say it's with you just for this question. Okay. How how much do you think a C-section mom needs to, like, do a full recovery if she's starting right away post? And there weren't average. any complications or Just a normal – I mean, it might have been, like, an emergency C-section, but nothing, yeah. like, But nothing, crazy. like, there was complications during the – I mean, like, complications right, no. during the C-section. Surgery, no. Um, I mean, there's a lot of factors in that, but usually if I see somebody more than 10 times, then I'm really questioning if I'm the PT for that person. Has it happened very often? In really intense situations where there was just so much in the past and a lot of things that happened, then I'm going to, then I kind of tell them we're in this for a a while to try to uncover things. But if it's kind of an unremarkable thing, I mean, six to 10. Six to 10 sessions. Yeah. That's pretty good. I think so. I mean, <laughs> what's if you, you know, are breaking up restrictions and doing, you know, all the kind of protocols that you do in here, visceral work, et cetera, what's the most effective exercise, like activation exercise that you give your patients to help them with core firing activation and kind of reprogramming? So it's called the abdominal series exercise. And uh, we can also link, yeah, the push, cross, pull, push. To my app rehab. Yes, yeah, good. (laughs) Fantastic. So it's a push, cross, pull, push. Um, That is by far the best way to activate the core. And the nice thing is it never gets easy because you can always push harder. It's an isometric and you can can push as hard as your arms can push. I know. I like when I'm coaching it, like, because I'll coach kind of like this and and I'm like shaking. I'm yeah. like, if you're not shaking, right? And shaking is like what you kind of want. Like you're on the. Aaron used to always tell me, like, when you're shaking, that's good because that means that you're kind of like on the the, the cusp, cusp of, of yeah. Reprogramming. So it's what we call the phasic shakes. The phasic shakes lead to the tonic spread. So phasic muscles are your muscles that are made for strength but not endurance. Your tonic muscles are the ones that are your core muscles that are made for endurance. And so when you get past the phasic shakes, then you get into that tonic spread where your true core muscles are firing. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So yeah, so so that's one I give that. like everybody. Like I work with, like I said, tons of athletes, and I'm like, it's a the way the way I teach it. I'm like, it's a minute and forty seconds. I'm yeah. like, if you don't have a minute and forty seconds before your workout to do this, then what the heck are you doing with your time? Take something else out because this is going to be way more effective than, you know, just doing a bunch of sit-ups. Yep. Yeah. How do you feel about forward flexion? Not great. <laughs> There's not a lot of reason to do it. 
I'm trying Couldn't to look at like more. function. Like let's look at like, like other things like, you know, bench press sometimes. I'm like, when are we on our, I can't yeah. remember who was it that said it. Like if you find yourself on your back and pushing up, you did something wrong. Yeah. With football. It's like, yeah. A football player that finds himself on his back and pushing yeah, up, that's you did something wrong. That's so really I think it needs to be more about function. That's really funny. How confident are you that you can completely prevent diastasis during pregnancy if you're working with them? If I see them prior to them getting pregnant, then yeah. Like I said, I haven't had anybody with a diastasis that I've started with prior That's to pregnancy. crazy. If I have a third pregnancy, I definitely can't move now. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about running hard in pregnancy? If you were a runner to begin with and you have good core firing, yeah, go for it. Like I said, I usually, I see women throughout their pregnancy at different stages and I'm always checking with that ligamentous laxity. Things can start, you can start to have some pelvic obliquities. Yeah. So I want to make sure that your pelvis is in a good neutral position and that I teach you how to get baby sitting in a good position. So then that helps your pelvic floor fire. A lot of women just have their bellies way out because they're so proud of their pregnancies. <clears throat> you got to get that little one in and keep it confined. And then that's, what's going to make your core fire. And so you, yeah, you can... You can bust out. I don't know if you saw it, like uh, Ashley Graham's pregnant right now, and she's like kicking ass on uh, workouts. Yeah, like, I love it. Yeah, she bought she beat Lindsey Vaughn on the skier uh, like ex- three times, that. and she's pregnant and she's just just going for it. So as long as your body, I is- PR in pregnancy. I mean, I don't yeah. talk about that a lot because I don't want to like encourage other people to push too far, yeah. but. I have PR'd like many times in pregnancy, yeah. especially in my second trimester when I'm feeling really good. Yeah. Why not? It, like I said, if your body's alignment, great. I mean, I don't see a problem. I think it's the people that never did running before or never did weights before. And now all of a sudden they're trying to do it. And do it like hard. Yeah. And do it hard when their body is totally different because of the relaxing and yeah. you know going pumping through their system. That's when injuries occur. But if yeah. it's something that you're used to doing prior, I don't see why you can't do it. Yeah, and we should specify that, like, we're talking about, like, for people that are sedentary before but want to start during pregnancy, my uh, advice is always to start slow, work up to a moderate intensity, stay moderate for the rest of your pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. And that's not necessarily because it's going to hurt baby. It's because I don't want mom to get hurt. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. My concern is not about the baby. My concern is about mom. Yeah. So yeah. I know that I know that, yeah. but I just wanted to clarify because yeah, yeah, no, I feel I like I everyone's just always thinking about baby, and baby's baby's good. fine. It takes a lot. It, ta- it takes a lot to impact baby. Like baby's good. I'm worried about you. I don't want to make your recovery harder than it has to be post. Yeah, and being by in tons doing of pain things- for the rest of your pregnancy, as you're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And the strain's going to be more intense. Exactly. Um, okay, last question because I think we're almost out of time. Do you feel? How do you feel about like lifting heavy in pregnancy, like via the demand on abs and pelvic floor? Because I mean. I, I know how I feel about this, but I know that a lot of people feel like if you're lifting heavy in pregnancy, it's too much on the pelvic floor, you higher risk for prolapse, all these things. And how do from your side of it, from your side of the fence, how do you feel about that? If you have good body mechanics, then you're fine. You're fine because your core is going to be firing. Yep. Like I said, I was... I remember teaching a course when I was 31 weeks pregnant and I'm literally jumping on top of the tables. Like I'm pushing and pulling. I'm like, I'm doing all this intense stuff with these like big people. And they're all like, Oh my God, you're pregnant. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, trust me. I am fine. Like, 
my body, I am working better than you are right yeah. now. So like, don't you worry about me and baby girl. Like we're completely we're fine. Good. So I think, but it's all about body mechanics because, because of the relaxant going through your body, you are more susceptible to having some injuries if you're not in proper alignment. Yep. Yep. Gosh, then that just goes to show you just how important prepping for pregnancy is. Like fitness, nutrition, seeing a great PT, it's getting everything deal. moving, getting everything aligned. It is. It really is a big deal. And I think it's the wave is coming more and more and we just need to keep pushing and get the information out. So yeah. I'm so happy we did this. Yes, we have you. to do this again. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll see what maybe people else want to hear about too. Yeah, you guys have to let us know because Heather is just like, brilliant and thank you so much for doing this seriously and we're going to include all of the information you can come see her in santa monica you can come see her in newport beach you can see her on her website she's got a blog with a bunch of great really informational blog posts that i send people all the time Mm -hmm. you probably didn't know that oh i I did but um, (laughs) on instagram too well and instagram and facebook you can find me probably the easiest way though if you want to communicate me is to go through the website and kind of do an inquiry in there. And then that's going to be easier to track than trying to do Facebook and Instagram. Just realizing too, that patient privacy, I don't want to, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. You can always say hi. I'm fine with that or ask random questions. But in terms of like there's personal questions you want answered, probably going through the And then do you ever do like consulting? Like, do you do a charge? Like maybe do you do that at all? Like if someone's calling you and they just want to consult about what's going on with them, like would you do some sort of like. Yeah, I do that free of charge though. Oh, you do? Okay. Maybe now that I, if, if everyone starts doing that, maybe not want to do it. But no, I, I want to help educate people and it's, I, I try to fit into my schedule. But yeah, I know I, cause, because of all the teaching that I do, physical therapists will refer me their patients or the physical therapists themselves contact me. And I always say, contact me about any patient questions you have, like put it in an email. What's with the patient? What's the presentation? And I'll probably email you back about a million questions to ask the patient to help me figure things out. But I love being able to educate other physical therapists about where my kind of train of thought goes. And if you are a PT that does send me a patient for like a week long intensive, I'll send you an email every day about what I did, why I did it, what's my train of thought and the kind of algorithm going in my brain, because I want them to be able to learn from the process too. Not just like, thanks for the patient. I'll send them back to you and they'll be better. It's like, no, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm here to help. I really want to help people. I'm not just trying to be selfish here. I want to see more people that it wasn't that you take, you know, forever to find me. I don't want you to have to kiss too many frogs. I know, man, that was a long journey. It took, (laughs) it was worth it though. I learned a lot, (laughs) but now my standards are so high. It's like, you know, just don't move from the area. I'm not planning on moving from the yeah, area. Yeah, just can't leave. We're going to have to fly back and do intensive, I guess. There you go. Um, okay, great. Any questions, guys, please let us know. We'd love to hear what you think, if you enjoyed it, what else you want to see. Um, I'm hoping to have Heather back on the podcast again and we can like talk about more topics. And soon she'll be making her own courses and selling them online so you guys can do your own visceral work. Cheers to Nancy. <laughs> I'm just going to keep pushing her until she says yes. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Cool.